Well, tonight we're going to look at and compare two miracles. Um, just a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 6, we looked at the feeding of 5,000. Tonight we're looking at the other miracle that Jesus did feeding a multitude of feeding 4,000 people. And you might wonder, and you, you would be correct to wonder this. I mean, thinking people would think this way. Why is there two stories about two miracles of the feeding of the multitudes in such a condensed book? Mark is just full of miracles. Why would he include that? Well, it's a very good reason that Mark and Matthew include this in their accounts. But, but I think what we need to do is just kind of set the scene for a moment because some people struggle with the fact that there's two stories about the same thing. But as you see, I, I give you a long list of things that are on the app. If you go to our church app and you want to look at the notes there, so all the material that, that I'm going to be sharing here with them, it's, it's on the app and you can look at it as well. But they're very, very different stories, and that's why it's so important that we carefully study our Bibles, not just read our Bibles devotionally, but stop and think about what we're reading and comparing it. There are times where I see things that people send me. Thankfully, I'm looking around this room. None of you that I'm aware of have ever sent me this, but occasionally I will get an email from somebody and will have a picture that says, have you seen this? been Jesus in the bottom of a frying pan before. I've even seen Jesus in a ketchup splot on somebody's plate, you know. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen these same things where people think they see Jesus. The problem is, it's so tragic that people look for Jesus in the bottom of a frying pan or in the cream on the top of a cup of coffee, and they don't see Jesus when he's right there in front of us. And there is a blindness that's taking place in this story that we're going to look at tonight because it's, it's really awful if you don't see Jesus right there when he's in front of you. I've heard this so many times when people have passed away and I've preached their funerals. I always say, thought dad would be there. I always thought mom would be there. I never realized that time was so short. And if we're not careful, we don't even see the people in front of us. Mark wrote his gospel so that we could see Jesus for who he really, really is. And that's the whole goal of this series that I'm preaching through the book of Mark. So let's start in the word of the Lord tonight at Mark chapter 8 and verse 1. About this time, another large crowd had gathered. Now remember, he's in the land of the Gentiles still. He's still in that area that we probably know as Syria today. And the people ran out of food again. Well, Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have had nothing left to eat. Three days is an important little thing there. How many of you remember how long Jesus was in the tomb? So the third day. So they've been with me three days. They have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. Well, his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked, how, many, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground, and then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, broke them into pieces, and he gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too, 
So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them, and they ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. So let's take a real quick comparison here of Mark 6 and Mark 8, these two miracles. Both occur in a desert place. Both occur because of Jesus' compassion. That Greek word, splachsonai, there. Jesus is deeply concerned about them. In the first incident, though, in the first miracle in Mark 6, Jesus refers to the crowd, remember he's in Israel, as sheep without a shepherd. That is a common phrase for Israel, especially when Israel is wandering. In the second one, he says, if I send them home hungry, they'll faint along the way, for they've come a long distance. This is prophetic about the Gentiles coming to know Jesus. Because, again, remember, this is astounding. A lot of people don't get this when, when I've heard this preached on so many times. They don't talk about the fact that Jesus is actually in the Gentiles. He's preaching the message to the Gentiles. And remember, last week we looked at the fact that the Gentiles started spreading the good news. And it was the Gentiles that said, everything he does is wonderful. You know, they were preaching the good news of Christ. Both feature a conversation between Jesus and the disciples about the coordination or the logistics, you know. The disciples, Jesus tells them to do something, and they start telling Jesus why it can't be done. In the first miracle, the disciples are worried over the expense. In the second miracle, they're worried, get, look at this, the big difference. They're worried over the expense of having to buy the food. In this miracle, they're saying the Gentiles have no place to go buy the food. They weren't ready to start buying groceries for the Gentiles yet, okay? In both instances, Jesus asked them how much bread they had. In both miracles, the disciples are absolutely convinced the task is impossible. Now, look at me for just a second. Wouldn't you think, I mean, wouldn't you think that after seeing Jesus feed 5,000 people, plus the, the women and the children that were there, and gathering up 12 basketfuls of, of food afterwards, wouldn't you think the disciples go, hot dog, he's going to do it again. There was a song we used to sing in church years ago called, He'll Do It Again, He'll Do It Again. Wouldn't you think that? But the disciples, and we don't want to be too hard on them because we struggle that way sometimes as well. We want to try and understand what's going on here so we can grow. In the first miracle, there were five loaves and two fish. In the second miracle, there are seven loaves and a few small fish. In the first miracle, Jesus prays once. In the second miracle, Jesus prays twice. He blesses the bread, breaks it. He blesses the fish and begins to divide it. In both miracles of this is important. Jesus has the disciples to distribute the food. That's an important point that we'll come back to later in the message. In both miracles, the crowd eats until they're full. And in both miracles, the disciples collect an abundance of leftovers. The first miracles, there were 12 baskets. Now, we don't pick this up in our English language. In the second miracle, there were seven baskets. But the word is different for baskets. And the first baskets, it would be kind of like a basket that you would carry like this. The second uh, miracle was seven baskets. It was more like big barrels. Did, did any of you see Indiana Jones, the first one 
uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You remember when they put the girl in the basket? And all right, that's the kind. It's the same word that was used, by the way, when Paul was led over the wall in the basket. Remember that story? Okay, so you're talking about a massive amount of leftovers, more than what you would have had with the twelve baskets from the first miracle. In the first miracle, there are five thousand men, and the second, four thousand men. Of course, there would be women and children as well. Now. I don't really get into a lot of trying to take significance out of numbers, but there are a lot of theologians who really put some stock into this, and I can, I can see the symbolism because Mark is using symbolism. What I'm going to share with you now, we don't build our lives upon, we just want to consider what we're being told. Folks from Augustine to others, they saw this same thing. So I want you to see this here. The first miracle, the five loaves, they felt like represented the five books of the Torah. The 12 baskets represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, that makes sense to me because the first miracle was in Israel. The second miracle is the number seven. Seven loaves, the baskets, because that's the number of completeness. You have seven loaves, you have the seven commandments to, in the Noahic covenant, covenant, if you remember that when, we, when I preached through the book of Genesis, do not deny God, do not murder, do not steal, do not engage in sexual immorality, do not blaspheme, do not eat a live animal, do justice. In other words, you know, these are just merciful things. But there were also seven and multiplications of seven. Remember when Jesus, when Peter said, if I forgive my brother seven times, remember that? I mean, that's the number of perfection. Peter's, Peter's kind of saying, if I've done that, I've done what God would have done. I've been perfect. And Jesus knows seven times 70, multiplications of seven. Well, there were 70 tribes or 70 nations that descended from Noah. You can read that in, your, in the book of Genesis as well. There were seven Hellenistic deacons. Remember when they appointed the deacons because of the, the Hellenistic, the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked. So there were seven Greek-speaking deacons that were appointed. Augustine also felt like the sevenfold spirit of God from the book of Isaiah was being represented here. The spirit of understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, godliness, and the fear of the Lord. So what I want you to see in this miracle and what I want you to see with Jesus tonight, the reason I go through all of that is when you read your Bible, don't skim over it. I love to water ski. I love to water ski. But boy, what a different world it is when you go diving. And I've been a few times that I've been diving, and the last time I dove, a shark came out from the reef where I was at. I haven't been back in the water anymore. I'm perfectly fine on the land, okay? But what a different world it is, and how much more you see underneath the sea. There's more to Jesus than meets the eye. There's more to Jesus that meets the eye, even in your Bible when you're reading. And the reason we don't see this is blindness. Sometimes the reason we don't see this is because we never take and we systematically study our Bibles. When I was a child in grammar school, I remember when we studied colorblindness. And I was absolutely stunned that I had some classmates, we had one a child in our class that was colorblind. And I remember feeling such compassion when I realized they couldn't see red, they couldn't see green or some of the other colors. And, and to find out that colorblindness was a genetic issue. So is spiritual blindness. It's in our spiritual DNA. Because we can look at Jesus 
and not see Jesus for who he really is. It's not a problem of intelligence. It's a problem of spiritual blindness that Jesus came to heal us of. The healing of the blind that Jesus preached about is much more than just the healing of the physical eye. It's the healing of the eyes of our hearts as well. <clears throat> it's why through the years, I've become much more compassionate towards my lost friends than I was in my earlier years of being a Christian. It was kind of like seeing my colorblind friends. I had compassion, but I just sometimes it was like, how can you not see that? Well, one of our children has a mild case of colorblindness. There's certain colors that they just can't see as vividly as, as our other children do. And so there's compassion and why I'm always praying, part of my prayer life and part of what I've taught you to pray over the years, and I hope you do, is God, open their eyes. Talk to Jesus about people before you talk to people about Jesus. When Jesus heard this, I'm reading Mark 8, 12. When Jesus heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why do these people, he's talking about the Pharisees now, the truth squads, the hit squads that are coming at him. Why do they keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. I mean, what more did they need? I mean, they've seen the lepers healed. They've seen the blind healed. They've seen, you know, the woman with the issue of blood. They've seen the dead raised. They've seen the demoniacs. And so Jesus is reaching a point where I think he's understanding but there is a subtle twist that's taking place now that hasn't taken place so far in the story of Mark's gospel. And I want you to catch that because Jesus is saying, I will not give this generation any such sign. Underline that because he's already given a ton of signs. Every week we have looked at a miracle. So Jesus has given lots of signs. They look like people who, for some reason or another, they've just missed what the story and the life of Jesus is all about. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 18, look at what Jesus says. You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And friends, when I read that, I can't just get mad at the Pharisees, and I can't just go, to the disciples, why don't you get it? Because at the same time, I know that sometimes we don't get it as well. We come to church, we face a crisis in our life, and we're like the disciples. They're in the boat. If you'll, if you'll remember the story, they're in the boat, and they're looking for bread. Jesus says something to them. They say, is it because we haven't bought bread? It's, have you ever been home alone, your wife's been gone. I'm fixing to really tell on myself. I, I, I wrote this down to share, but now I realize I'm really telling on myself. If Becky is gone and Amy is gone, I'm kind of like the teenager across the street that told me there's no food in the house. And I looked at him and called him by name. I says, you're telling me there's absolutely no food in your house. He said, well, there's food, but I have to cook it. He said, there's nothing to eat. And, and so I'm looking around for anything to eat. You know, they're, they're thinking, they've missed the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Why would you worry about bread when the true bread is right there with you? 
So Jesus is kind of sighing over the frustration of the Pharisees' hypocrisy, but he's also sighing over the fact that the, the disciples just simply are not getting it. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we don't get it as well. And that's the reason these stories are being left for us. Not so that we just look at the disciples and look down upon them, but so that we ourselves are praying, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. Open my ears. I want to hear Jesus. Open my eyes to reach out and touch him and to say that I love him. Remember that song? We want to make that our prayer. As a matter of fact, Jesus says something very familiar in Mark 8, 21. Do you still not get it? Get it? That was kind of what, get it? Good. Okay. Number two, there's more to Jesus' blessings than meets the eye. What we learn here is that before the multiplication can be, take place, it must be blessed before it can multiply. And so Jesus blesses the fish. He took the seven loaves, and he thanked God for them. It's the reason we ask God to bless our meals when we eat them. It's the reason we ask God to bless the, the fruit of our hands, the labor that we do. It's the reason that when we give, we ask God to bless the offerings that we give. Secondly, it must be given away before it can multiply. We can't expect God to multiply what we're not willing to give to God, what we're not willing to sow to God. Somebody gave their bread, somebody gave their fish to Jesus, and the disciples distributed what had been given. Who, the disciples is, is the who, who distributed the bread to the crowd. Here's what I want you to see. The miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands, the miracle happened in the disciples' hands. The miracle didn't happen the more the disciples kept giving, once Jesus had blessed it, once Jesus had broke it, I, 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 let me back up, once somebody had given it, once Jesus had blessed it, once Jesus had broke it and gave it to the disciples, the more they gave away, the more it multiplied. And that's this whole principle of reciprocity, that's this whole principle of sowing and reaping that we talk about. But there's also more to Jesus' refusal to give a sign. When Jesus refuses to give the signs, one of the things you need to remember is in this day and in this time, it's just like today, false prophets trafficked in signs. There are people who are called futurists. They're not soothsayers. They're not astrologers. They're not um, any of these Madame Watusi people that you see putting up billboards on the sign. These are people who are futurists, and they study trends, and they study events that are taking place in our culture and society. One of the things that some of the futurists that, that I read behind in their writings, one of the things that they believe is a trend that is taking place is that because of the destabilization economically, the destabilization politically of the world, the danger of the world, and even especially here in America where we're seeing a real shaking, there are going to be all kinds of sensational claims and people coming along claiming to have some divine mandate or divine power, and they're going to be deceiving people a lot. Well, we see this all the time. You just, it doesn't take much. You, you go to a, uh, an event and there's going to be somebody there. You, you listen to somebody on the uh, television that they're selling a package. They'll give you something free. And then you go online, and, and then they start trying to sell you a package. And 
I've shared this with you before. Some time ago, I got a call here at the church, and um, the man, I took the call because the, the receptionist told me uh, that um, the man said he knew me. And I couldn't remember the name, but, you know, I've traveled a lot. And so when Norma told me that he knew me, I took the call and he started talking to me just like he knew me. And I was a little bit confused at first, and, but I was just listening and being polite. And um, after all, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be polite. And then all of a sudden he says, you know, Pastor Clanton, I can see you right now. And this is what God is telling me to tell you. And he starts telling me all stuff I'd really like to believe and I said, you can see me? He goes, yes, I'm seeing you in the spirit right now. And all of a sudden, I just felt chill bumps come up on me. And I was like, oh, come on. This is, well, what I thought I'm not going to say. So I finally, you know, thanked him for calling me. He wanted to come preach at our church, and he was a prophet. I am not kidding you. I am at another meeting for the general council for our church. I'm at a meeting, and I'm walking down the hall holding my wife's hand, getting ready to go into the, one of the business sessions, and I hear a voice, and I go to Becky. I know that voice. And so I stopped, and I, I see the man talking. And he's telling this man the same thing. I saw you in the Spirit. And he began to tell the man the same routine that he told me. And so I walked over, and I says, Hi, I'm Dennis Clanton. Do you remember me? You saw me in the Spirit, and you told me just what you're telling him. He was flabbergasted. He was embarrassed. The other man started laughing. We both walked away and left prophet so-and-so standing there by himself. <laughs> now, here's what I'm trying to say to you. In Jesus' day, there was all kinds of this stuff going on. If you're seeking signs, you're going to miss the Savior. If you're seeking manifestations, you're going to miss the Savior. Somebody came by one day to see me, and they were just shaken, and I said, what is wrong with you? I was ready to pray for us. I said, oh, no, don't pray for me. I'm a manifester, and I said, a manifester? He goes, oh, yes, that's, God's given me the gift of manifestation. I'm manifesting the Holy Spirit to you right now, and I go, you know, the Holy Spirit is love. He's joy. He's peace. And I started to go, oh, no, this is, this is all. Friends, when you start doing that, you have gone off the deep end, okay? Now, signs I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just trying to be cute with you. Signs is what Satan traffics in. Remember what he did with Jesus? If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you're the son of God, you know, cast yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you. People will believe. When Jesus heard this, look at Mark 8, 12. When Jesus heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? The reason is their father was the devil. And you remember, Jesus will tell them that later. Your father, they are demanding the same thing of him. Why were they doing that? Because they wanted to shame Jesus. Because if they could shame Jesus, people would be ashamed to be identified with Jesus. Does that make sense? If they could shame Jesus... If they could manipulate him, if they could control him, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to manipulate Jesus. And Jesus will later say in, in Mark chapter 8, we'll look at this next week, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What did these Pharisees want, and what were the disciples tempted to want at times, they wanted a Superman Messiah that they could control. 
They wanted a superman Messiah that could control. You'll see Peter later trying to control Jesus. Now, as we get ready to go on, Jesus says something here that's very important. And I would, if you'll give me just a few more minutes. He's going to tell them, as they're crossing the lake, he says, watch out. Beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, when you and I think about yeast, we think about that powder, that material that Becky puts into homemade bread when she's making it. And it makes our bread rise and it makes it sweet. But in Jesus' day, it was called leaven. You've read about leaven in your Bibles. And Paul even warns us about the leaven that can get into our church doctrine and things. The ancient world used a much more dangerous form of leaven than what we use today. You can read about that in a lot of ancient manuscripts. But what happened was they would take the leaven, some of the bread dough, they would put it into another batch and set it aside. And if that bread dough wasn't carefully watched over, it could go bad and it could become poisonous. Because what the yeast does is it, it not only taints it, if it's, not, if it's left unwatched, it works in a way that it sucks out the sugars, it gives off carbon dioxide, it makes the bread bitter and stale, and it can make it poisonous. If you, and this is what they had to be very, we're not as careful with that today because I don't know of anybody, unless you do that, uh, there was a time when Becky and different ladies here at the church were passing around sourdough. sourdough, thank you. We're passing it around, but that's not what we're talking about. The reason the Bible, and remember Jesus, and remember God told them to, to make unleavened bread on the night of the Passover because leaven is a sign of sin. It works totally unseen it spreads through and affects and impacts the whole thing, and it sucks the very sweetness out of life. That's what sin does in our life, and that's why leaven is a sign of sin. So they had rejected Jesus' previous signs. They're trying to tempt him like Satan. I'm just trying to review what we've just talked about. But the kingdom of God requires an exercise of faith, and that's where we're headed to in the second half of this book. So Jesus warns them in Mark chapter 13 and verse 21. He says, look, here's, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, read it with me, even God's chosen ones. Say it again, even God's chosen ones. That tells me I have to stay on top of my game as well. Now, one final point, there is more to Jesus' patience with the disciples than meets the eye. <clears throat> He's not angry at them. There is some just grief, but he's being very patient with them. They begin to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Can you imagine how that must have broke the heart of Jesus? Here they are arguing. When they're arguing, somebody's blaming somebody. Okay, you were supposed to bring it. No, I wasn't. Nobody told me to. Yes, you were supposed to do it. Or no, why didn't you do it then? They're arguing. And so Jesus says to them, when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. What Jesus is saying here is very, very simple. Number one, Jesus will provide. Jesus will provide. Now, let me ask you this question. 
How many of you have ever been to a time where you thought God wasn't going to provide? <laughs> How many of you have ever come right down to the wire? Okay? I'm talking about your salvation of your children, salvation of your loved ones. I'm talking about finances, health, employment, any number of things that have tested our faith. God always comes through. But we build community by faith in Christ. We never build community by fighting with one another. And thirdly, it's why Jesus taught us that we obey God's will by trusting him for our daily bread. So I hope you can see tonight in this study and the comparison of the miracles, there is so much more going on. It's the first miracle, Jesus is among the Jews. The second miracle, Jesus is among the Gentiles. We're rushing rapidly towards Calvary. We're rush, rushing rapidly towards the resurrection of Christ. There's a lot in these two miracles that are not only prophetic, but they're, they're signs to us of what's to, going to come. The Gentiles began sharing the good news, saying everything that Jesus did was good. Here's my question to us tonight. Are we sharing with other people? Are we living, are we talking in such a way that people know that everything Jesus does in our life is good? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you. Thank you for these wonderful stories of miracles. I thank you they can't be explained away except for people who just choose not to believe. But Lord, we are people of faith. We are people that you have touched by your spirit. We are people, Lord, that we have been forgiven of our sins, and we, Lord, are being saved daily from the power of sin. So help us, Lord Jesus, to walk close to you. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that we might walk in a way that is pleasing to you. Bless our friends here and our friends on Facebook and YouTube and Church Online tonight. God, I thank you for each and every one of them. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, you want to join us on Sunday morning because I'm going to be speaking about the wonder of blessing and how God blesses us and how God uses us to bless other people. I want you to be amazed not only at the love of God, but the blessings of God. So join us here Sunday morning at 10 o'clock or 1131. God bless. Good night.